Welcome to Inside Shopify UX. I'm your host, Lola Yelayo Pearson, UX Director at Shopify. At Shopify, our mission is to make commerce better for everyone. And for most of us, that means working on solutions designed for merchants. The Shop app is different. In this episode, I speak with senior UX managers on the Shop team, Katerina Bettina and Matt Griffin. We talk about creating buyer-facing experiences, the history and design secrets behind Shop, building value for both merchants and buyers at the same time, and our answer to the rising customer acquisition costs. We also talk about brand spanking new features, such as the Shop app minis. As this is our final episode of the season, we go over our highlights and our takeaways. It has been an honor to host the season of Inside Shopify UX. Enjoy. I am delighted to host this episode with two of my favorite, favorite, favorite people at Shopify to talk serious work stuff and bant with, um, but also it's our season finale. So I am delighted to be closing the season with the two of you, and I would love for the audience to get to know you a little bit better. So kicking off, Katerina, tell the people who you are. I'm Katerina Bettina, Senior UX Manager in Shop, focused on the buyer experience. Uh, yeah, I've been here for a year and a half. Loving it. Matt. Your other title though, Katarina, <laughs> before we go to Matt, is bringer of the coolest neck pieces. Can we just talk about that for a second? <laughs> because I don't think I've ever been on a call with you when you're not wearing some kind of neck adornment that's like just really interesting and sophisticated and creative. It's like designer Says the woman snap. with a giraffe brooch oh yeah it's a giraffe with a crown i mean I actually wore it. this so that i could meet the That's neck so adornment good. thing uh, so that you know you, you leveled up, up my oh. game yeah thanks oh thank you you know i used to think that my necklace game was cool and then people are like yo have you seen great british bake-off you look like prue <laughs> now prue is i think north <laughs> of 75 and wears the goofiest necklaces uh and so now i have a total complex about being a bake show host in britain but, um, but i appreciate that you enjoy them and her neck is kind of cool i mean she's got like purplish gray hair and then also it's a bit over the top yeah but i mean yeah. she's on tv if i was on tv i'd go over the top as well like why hey. the hell not i mean go hard or That's go home true. you know okay we're doing this thing matt Tell the world who you are. <laughs> What's tragic is this is me stepping up. I, I put on a shirt. <laughs> Plaid shirt. Plaid you shirt. Know, I put on the, Canadian. I put on, it has a pattern. Uh, <laughs> yes. So I'm Matt. I'm Matt Griffin. Uh, I lead UX for Shop Pay. Uh, and I have been at Shopify for almost five years now. Uh, I moved here, Ottawa, Ontario, and Canada uh, in 2017, uh, back when we moved to Canada to work at Shopify. In the before Lola, times. I think you, you were like, you slid right under the bar for that. Is that right? Yeah. I was uh, the last of the move, uh, last of the big country movers when office was a thing. Yeah. So I, I moved in. Lola, where did you move from? Landon, mate. Move from London. Well, actually, <laughs> I have to qualify that. London, UK, because that's not London, Ontario. As I'm now learning when I say it to people right. in London, they're like, right. right, oh, where does your accent come from? It's like, no, no, not the Canadian London. Yeah, right. The UK London. That's a funny accent for London, Ontario. <laughs> London, Ontario. <laughs> huh. Yes, yes. I'm just, just not putting it together. There. Yes. 
Um, okay, so, so let's start with talking about shop because you both lead two different parts sure. of shop. Um, and shop is this unique thing in Shopify because, and we had Jess who leads uh, UX for all of shop on the show on yes. the, uh, last year. It is this one place where you guys are designing for the merchant experience, which is what the rest of us spend the majority of our time doing. And you're kind of building a buyer-facing product, right? So mm -hmm. what do you mean, kind of? Well, you are. Yeah. Actually, actually yeah. There's no halfway house. <laughs> right? Kind of. Actually, <laughs> in fact, building what you, what you, the shop. What are, you trying to, what are you trying to say, Lola? Well, kinda. you know. Well, let's talk about it. Let's talk I think about it's it. both. I think it's both a statement of truth, uh, a read, yes, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Okay, snafu. There we go. I okay. accept your hey, criticism. Katerina, talk to me about the buyer experience and being somebody who is advocating for fighting, spending all of their time on that in a company where I would say eighty percent of our conversation is how to empower merchants first and merchant experiences how do you navigate that yeah it's an interesting question because i wouldn't think there's much to navigate like i'm pretty sure merchants are in the business to find um buyers i think they call them yes usually <laughs> um audiences yes customers yes. brand loyalists yes. Their community, community is a new word people love yes. to talk about people who buy stuff from their brand. Yeah. Right. That's like the new thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's much of a fight as it is something that's maybe new okay. to Shopify. So my experience being only year, here for a year and a half is that Shopify's bread and butter has been being merchant obsessed. Now, to give Shopify some credit, that has to also necessarily mean understanding what buyers want. Yes. Um, if we look at a product like Online Store, that team has, well, a collective decade of experience trying to figure out how to build themes and experiences for Online Store such that buyers continue to come back and back again and shop from Shopify merchants. Mm -hmm. And what I see us doing in shop is a natural, ex in some ways, an extension of that. Um, and in some ways is doing something completely different, which is starting from a centralized buyer experience that has its own brand. Mm. Um, that's the one crazy thing when you really think about Shopify mm -hmm. is that it is an invisible force mm -hmm. out on the internet. Mm -hmm. When I have to explain to most people in my life, like my parents and my family, like what Shopify is, I'm like, if you didn't buy it on Amazon, you probably bought it through Shopify, you just didn't know it. Yeah. And shop is the first time that somebody's gonna know that they're buying something from Shopify or Shopify brand, yeah, which is really interesting. And I think like where your question's heading mm -hmm. is shop, when you think about how shop truly works and how we've built ourselves to this moment, we have a very interesting way of acquiring users. We trust or ask merchants to trust us by providing a really awesome service that is free package tracking. Mm -hmm. That's an immense value to merchants. They don't like having to deal with that. It's a great customer experience. And so they the, the journey starts with a button on a confirmation email that says, hey, want to track your order? Mm -hmm. Download this app. Yeah. So when we talk to users now, most of them don't know how we <laughs> end up on their phones, but they love having this package tracking feature. Yeah. Now what we're doing is saying, we want this to be a destination for people to come and start their shopping journey with merchants they already know, but also to find new merchants. And that was not necessarily, I think, something that Shopify thought it would be in the business of doing when it was started. 
Um, but I think it's something we're excited to be doing now. And we're trying to do it in a remarkably different way than any of our competitors. We think we have a unique advantage in the fact that merchants consider Shopify their operational home. So there's a sense of safety, there's a sense of trust. And so our job is to figure out how to nurture that and bring them new audiences, new new community, new buyers. Do you know what I love about that? Can I, because I want to lean in, because, you know, to my shame, before joining Shopify, I wasn't intentional about seeking out a business that was not part of big behemoth companies, right? And marketplaces traditionally. But since I find myself buying from a really wide range of merchants to the point where I sometimes forget the name of the merchant. And Mm -hmm. I know that's not great. And I think that is a, that is a weakness of Shopify. It's like you can buy from all these people and never really know how they are. Shop has become this way that I go and remember the, the, place where I bought this thing that I really liked and now I want another one but I cannot remember who it was and I go back through my orders and I'm like oh and they've got this other stuff and oh and oh and oh and I kind of do that in a way that you know if I compare to other experiences it doesn't feel like they're designed for that purpose but shop does actually feel like it's designed for that rediscovery and like am I community the first time I buy from like a completely new merchant no but I certainly am the time I go looking for their product again. And I'm like, oh, now I found you again. I'm like, okay, now I'm really like sold in. And it feels, my, I, you know, obviously I'm biased, but I genuinely believe as a, as a buyer, it genuinely feels easier to do that in shop than through some of the other marketplace products that I have on my phone, you know, which is. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that part of that comes from our, our heritage is being mer- merchant centric. Yeah. Right. And we started with a ton of constraints. We didn't go out the gate and say, like, let's create a marketplace. And today, I would argue, we still don't really consider ourselves one uh-huh. um, because we're not just about throwing a bunch of products at you and hoping you'll find something. We've really started from a merchant first constraint in many ways to help tease out that understanding of people really having an affinity with certain merchants and almost like becoming a bookmark for the merchants yes. that I really love. Yeah. I like to think of it as like building my own department store around me. So like department stores today, you walk in, yeah. there's shoes, there's cosmetics, there's different floors. I have the floors I go to and love. Yeah. Imagine walking in and the whole space shifts around you yeah. and the brands you love are immediately in front of you, but you still have room to explore. And I think we've figured out how to pull the brands that you love in front of you. And now our challenge is to build out the rest of that experience. Oh, I love that department store uh, metaphor. It feels familiar. Um, the other thing that I love about shop, and this is going to come over to you, Matt, is shop pay. Oh, and like I just I bought from a, a merchant yesterday and the the little shiver of delight. So I bought from a merchant. There is a, a book that is being studied at my daughter's school and it's it's called a kid's book about racism. And they sent a message out and they were like, we're going to study this and we're going to have it in the you know junior kindergarten class. So I was like, OK, I'm going to go get this book because I want to know what's been said. And the merchant is a Shopify merchant. And it's such so, a delight. I, it's just because I needed to buy this book. And so it was going to happen no matter what. And then I saw that they were a Shopify merchant. And I, I checked out straight away using ShopPay. And I've had and all the notifications. The purple button just kind of really, I don't know. It just makes me feel 
like it just it's instant connection right so tell us about what actually basic question matt is shop yeah. a wallet what is it <laughs> what should we call it what is this thing shop oh, that we have built that we've made available it's so many things i mean it's it, because it had such humble beginnings you know yeah. this this is something that started a long time ago years and years ago as uh the the initial experiment it was an experiment uh, mm -hmm. And the project was just called Remember Me. And it was a Remember Me checkbox on the checkout. Okay. Right? And so we built a Remember Me checkbox. And it was, it was like, what, what would happen if we had a little checkbox on the checkout and we'd remember your basic details, your shipping and payment details on one Shopify mm. store. And then you could use it on any Shopify store, just sort of invisibly. And then mm -hmm. that obviously did very well because it's a great yeah. idea. Um, yeah. it, it removes all this friction. And then it turned into this thing that was a wallet that held your information and also then became an accelerated checkout where if you had that information stored you would get what we know as the the purple checkout right that yeah. that super fast checkout where all of your information is vaulted and you yeah. click that button what it's what happens when you click the purple button or it recognizes your email and sends you that yeah. or you, you get sort of cookied in and it sends you down that fast flow uh, it happened to me the other day also i went i went and got some new slippers from a, a canadian slipper company called glurups uh mm -hmm. it's my second pair and and they're they're lovely they showed up yesterday so that was great um or my all birds or whatever right so like yeah. you, you you have that wonderful experience where you see the purple button you're like oh it's going to be easy this time that's fantastic right and you go through that thing mm. but it's it's also doing so many more things now that we've got that information um and and that's where we're taking into this this point now where it's it's really shop pay as an identity uh, it's shop pay because it has that information and because it's becoming integrated with the, the shop app uh, yeah. and, and all these things Katarina's working on with shopping. The question becomes like, as these shop pay users, so it started off as this little remember me thing and shopping, uh, the shop app had these humble beginnings similarly as another experiment as a thing called Arrive. And I think a lot of people will remember that original Arrive app, which was also an experiment, threw it together. What if we, what if we threw together a tracking app? And, mm -hmm. and then these things merge together into what we have today as shop, which, which that merger has only really been around for a couple of years. But those things have come together now where we have this shop pay wallet and accelerated checkout that, and we have this order tracking thing. And now we've built a shopping experience on top of it. And they've all come together because of shop pays frictionless checkout, which now exists in the app as well. And because it, has all this information that makes this purchasing experience very easy um, and we can bring it into that shopping experience it gives all these opportunities to mm. make a more frictionless shopping purchasing experience to create more personalized experiences um, so i think the opportunities for that as an as an identity are just sort of limitless um, it's uh, so funny in, in though because years. sorry to interrupt but i was just it's no 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 that's good it's how like it's so thinking abstract from Shopify for a second, but you know, you think about how like services become sticky. And I, I think yeah. back to near Eyal's book hooked and like that whole framework of trying mm. to design experiences that are addictive, but less about addictive, but much more about like that stickiness value and like mm -hmm. shop pay for me it's like you know you got you kind of get to that accelerator checkout right and you see a couple of other options that are really familiar like you know there's your apple pay or yeah, yeah. i'm going to check out with paypal or something and yeah those are really good too because they save you having to go look for your wallet but at this point in my life i'm kind of going to pick shop pay 
because I get all this other stuff with it too. So yeah. the need state has shifted to like the minimum now can't just be, oh, I don't need my wallet. The minimum now is I don't need my wallet and I'm going to get notifications about when this is coming and I can rediscover the merchant and it's in my phone and it's really nice and it's really simple. So it's like creating this extra value prop that's just made it much more sticky. And I think the numbers kind of show us that as well. Like oh, shop pay is massive. And then the biggest win, which I'd love to hear about is like shop pay existing in places that aren't strictly just Shopify yeah. services. So like you can use it now on meta services like Facebook and Instagram and other places. Mm -hmm. So what was well. that journey yeah. like pulling it out of like just your typical online store into like somebody's Instagram shop. Oh gosh. Right. So that, that's a whole, and that's a whole other, sorry, I need to like rewind in my brain through all of these, these There's steps so here. much context. There's so much has happened to get us here. <laughs> well, I want to, I do think there's something really interesting here, yes. which is like, I think this is the product that gets built when you're not thinking about ad dollars. And so to, oh. to double click on that for a sec, like yeah. this is a real flywheel, one that's built around shit people want, yeah. right? Like let's go back and I like no shade. Yeah. My entry into product design was through a wonderful internship at Facebook. So yeah. I owe them a lot. Let's talk about the Facebook advertising pixel for two seconds. Sure, go for it. That product ran businesses. Mm -hmm. It ran a lot of Shopify businesses. Mm -hmm. The market dynamics have changed. And there was a, so much you could have built on top of that mm -hmm. for merchants, for buyers, integrated experiences. But the the lust for ad dollars and growth on top of growth on top of growth. And so we became, you know, some political theorists talk about this as surveillance capitalism, ads running me around on the internet. Mm -hmm. We can vilify this all we want, but like, I kind of like the ads, yeah. you know? <laughs> Um, I, good, I, good. This, this is how we shop. This is how we discover. Yeah. Um, you can look at how, how dumb the banner ads were before that. And exactly so like that. ads you want yeah. is an argument. Exactly. A hundred percent. But ads aren't really the deliverable or the product. Ads aren't like an experience. They're just like this dysmorphic thing following us around mm -hmm. in like yeah. a distributed decentralized way, but not any of the good ways that Web3 are bringing. <laughs> It's like just all over the internet. Mm -hmm. And to you, what you were talking about, Lola, yeah. like not knowing where to find my merchant. And so to me, shop pay is the real product that then loops back into a native experience that allows me to continue those relationships. This is the loop we're talking about. And it's a full end-to-end -end product that really feels like it's built around people. And I'm obviously super biased. Yeah. But... I think that's the benefit of thinking about what do merchants need and merchants really need this. Yeah. Our merchants need us to be successful here. The market dynamics around internet advertising and the way you find new customers and the costs associated with those is so high that it's kind of become a moral imperative for Shopify to provide something like this to merchants. And I think as somebody who's been working in mobile consumer e-commerce for most of my career, I think buyers deserve a product that's this integrated and that that's this high quality and that gives buyers this much control. Do you know what I love about that? Because, okay, so we're just going to take a full divergence now. We're going to change the script for a second. But there is something important that I think we should acknowledge. And I, th I think 
in design, you know, we talk a lot about ethics and we talk a lot about doing right by the individual and what it means to be truly human centered. And then I think you look at the landscape of commercial realities and the fact that business models have to exist because I don't work for free. So as a designer who is values driven, one of my values is to think about ethics in the context of commercial integrity, right? Like, so, Mm -hmm. you know, as a, as a individual who is a part of a family of entrepreneurs or somebody who cares about my local community, I believe a business has a right to find its income and to acquire customers and they deserve to make a profit and we can't live this altruistically driven thing. On the internet though, that's a really weird conversation to have because as you just said, Katarina, it's like, hey, we wanna talk about ads and we reject ads almost viscerally as like this ethically immoral thing and this horrid thing that, you know, Mm -hmm. retargeting follows you around and it feels, and there's definitely like, don't get me twisted, the spectrum is broad and creep comes way too soon, right? Like there's just a lot of creep um, Mm -hmm. ad behavior. But there is a reality that like, you know, as we're saying, the majority of our merchants are small businesses who do one thing really well or a handful of small things really, really well. And like mom and pop shop in Wisconsin with an online presence is not going to have discovered me in Southwest London without an advert, quite frankly, like that connection can't exist. And even sometimes literally the store at the end of your road, there is a store at the end of my road that is a merchant that I discovered on Instagram through an ad. And then I was walking to the nail shop and I literally stepped back and I was like, oh, I, what? They, they, and I walked in and I Instagram to real life. Yeah. And she was like, oh yeah, I started on Instagram and then, but we always wanted to have a shop and now we have a shop. And I would Wait, not really? have discovered her. Yeah, I wouldn't have known her brand without the ad. But now I know she has a physical presence. Would I have stopped if I just saw the shop? Probably not because I didn't see the clothes in the same way. So I feel like ads are this ethical hot potato in like tech and the way designers and, and people who are values driven talk about them. But they're actually like really important. Like we need them. We need people to find they're people. They're critically important. Yeah. yeah. The, and the problem is, is like not, I don't think anybody has an inherent problem with advertising. It's targeting is one problem. Yeah. And two for merchants, it's the lack of choice. Yes. Right? Like not having choice yeah. is the problem right now. Yeah. There yeah. are two companies that you can go through. You drive that market. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do we want to talk for a minute about this whole situation of rising customer acquisition costs and cookies and privacy and this whole like double-edged dilemma. Do you know what I think or is, is that worth just a rabbit talking hole about? We don't want to go down. No, no, no. I don't think it's a rabbit hole. Let's talk about it because it's in the context of like designers need to have commercial sense, right? And so yep. as a designer that- working on a highly important product, we've got to think about the commercials that drive that product. And so in that context, yeah, we should have a bit of a conversation when, about that. When we talk about like, why is shop pay on Facebook and Instagram and, and Google? Like that's, that's the answer. 
it's it's not just to like get on these platforms it's to answer this need for customer acquisition rising customer acquisition costs and merchants struggling to be able to reach new customers because of changes in privacy and cookies becoming no longer a way to acquire customers yeah so but this but this is like it's yeah no but let's do that so let's talk about why it's important for our merchants to have access to buyers on you know google channels and facebook and instagram like talk to me about that matt because it it, you know there is there is that conversation that needs to be had about like how does a small business acquire its customers and then what are the ways in which we're thinking about that absolutely and i think this is this is ultimately going to end with why shop is so vitally important uh, mm-hmm. and, and shop, shop pay as part of that. Uh, so a huge shift that's happened in the last year, year and a half, two years, it's been sort of gradual, but it's really culminated in the last year, <clears throat> is changes in internet privacy and ultimately changes to how cookies function and how effective cookies are um, and the effects on advertising. So I think everyone, whether or not they're in design, has noticed changes on the web and changes to their devices, whether that's through email updates or these little banners on websites that tell them about, uh, we have to accept uh, that yes, you have a cookie right now uh, Mm -hmm. or or whatever, right? Um, Or changes to Safari, which are are changing tracking or ad blockers that are built into your uh, browser, whether it's Safari Mm -hmm. or whatever, it would have quickly followed suit by Google Chrome or or Firefox or or whatever, right? And we should Um, should probably mention that like, for good reasons, right? Like there are, well, yeah. the majority sure. of those are about individual agency and the privacy of personal information, which is important and something that needs to happen. But there's this impact and consequence, sure. right? Yes. So that's, that. The, everything is very, very complicated, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the world is a very, very complicated place and things have yeah. all kinds of uh, interconnected uh, ramifications. So in the giving to individuals, uh, a, an ability to have more privacy and not be tracked as they move around the web. What that cut off was the ability for cookies to track people moving around, which made uh, ad tracking extremely ineffective, um, mm-hmm. which meant that uh, you couldn't use uh, inexpensive web advertising to uh, advertise to customers as a merchant cheaply and, uh, and serve uh, effective ads to customers cheaply and acquire new customers. So uh, that's what we refer to as customer acquisition cost, is how much do you have to spend to get a new customer to uh, see and then ultimately buy your products? How much does it cost per customer to sell a product? Right. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I just want to highlight that era of cheap advertising sprung so many businesses. What we consider Absolutely. to be you know, having been a designer in New York over the last 10 years, yeah. like the term D to C, yeah. right? Like, and are you going to work at a DDC company? You're going to work at a tech company. Like yeah. where are you work in, yeah. you're working for a cool brand. It, the, the structure of this kind of business is fascinating, right? Because like the two most important people at a company is like that, whether you were selling sheets, mattresses, glasses, pick an item workout from the house, wear, trainers, workout wear, yeah. exactly. The person who makes the thing as cheap as possible and the person who figures out the ad cost to buy a customer those two people do bath together on a weekly basis to figure out an entire business model Mm. this is how we get Ruby Parker this is how we get Casper right right Um, Right. and what's really interesting is that 
that type of business model has been threatened overnight because of these policy changes, yeah. which is really, really interesting. Absolutely. And so many of those great brands call Shopify a home. Mm -hmm. That's where they run their business. Yeah. And that's why now we're being called to figure out how to truly develop new ways of finding customers, mm -hmm. of keeping them, mm -hmm. and creating increasingly relevant experiences for them as they launch new products. Yeah. Absolutely. So that you, you've completely nailed it, Katerina, which is yeah. <laughs> this, this is an existential threat here to mm -hmm. especially new merchants. How do I find new customers? Right. Like this is uh, OK. So like when if you fundamentally ask me, like, what's the difference between Shopify and something like Amazon or Etsy or eBay or any other like large marketplace, the, the central difference is on on Shopify, you own your business and brand and we help elevate you to do that thing. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. On on Amazon or Etsy or whatever, uh, they own the brand uh, and you sell through them to customers. Mm -hmm. Now, at the beginning of your merchant curve, your entrepreneurial curve, that's like super great because you, mm -hmm. you just have to have the product and then you get free customers, right? You just like throw it out there and you get customers, right? Uh, on Shopify, it's much steeper because you throw your product out there and, and you're just like a little island in the ocean. Like how do people know about you, right? Mm -hmm. The problem, of course, is that you see on the Amazons of the world is like, or just we can just say Amazon, is like if you hit a certain point in that success curve, uh, you cap out and fracking frequently get replaced like that that like amazon basics problem right like you do too well you get cannibalized and you're out right like thanks for showing up appreciate your service and we'll take it from here uh, mm. in the shopify or they they you've become so valuable to their product mix yeah. that you're like the value you're getting out of it becomes asymmetric yeah, yeah. yeah. yes right so that it's it's a losing proposition you do too well you do very badly right with shopify like if you can figure out how to get through that early part of the curve it's all yours. Like you're in charge, you own it. It's your brand, you own it, right? But that first part of the curve is really hard. Like yeah. there's no sugarcoating it. Being an entrepreneur is one of the hardest jobs in the world. Uh, yeah. I've been there, like a lot of people have been there. It's very, very hard stuff. And that customer acquisition is one of the hardest problems. That cheap marketing made it easier. So this is one of the hardest problems that needs to be solved right now. So when we see that like uh, cookies in the open web thing starting to disintegrate, um, the question is, where does the traffic go? And it's going to go into these other platforms and into apps, into native apps. So we're going to see it on Facebook, Instagram, Google, which is why ShopPay has moved onto those areas, is mm -hmm. to, uh, to, to give that audience a place to go uh, and, to, and to give Shopify merchants a place to, to, to bring um, Shopify uh, checkout like directly yeah. into that, that place. Um, but also, this is one of the great things that ShopApp can bring to the world, right, is like, having a place that is pro merchant, um, that, that is pro, uh, Shopify, <laughs> mm -hmm. like providing a channel directly a for, uh, to address this problem. Right. So I want to pull the conversation back into like a very designy space, which is the way we operate shop and Shopify in general is, and I think Katerina, you said this already, it's like, um, the merchant is the brand and, and Matt, you alluded to this as well, right? So you own your brand, the, you know, the themes, you can design your store any way you like. It can look as you want it, you know, the, the, the limitations are infinite. And then we do this other thing with shop where we have to create a place for multiple brands to be discovered. And so how do you make space for a very unique brand? 
And then on the other side, we're taking something like Shopay and we're going and putting it in these other places that are like entire other businesses that are designed very differently. So like, what are some of the design challenges that you're dealing with in this environment where like shop needs its own identity and experience concepts and primitives and you've got to create this space where a brand lives by its own story and potentially you're like co-branding with a third party so it's like a bunch of layers in there so maybe starting with you Katarina like how are you thinking about that in the features or even the way you're designing the shop app itself what are some of those challenges and opportunities yeah I come back to the department store I've been doing a bunch of like digging into historical um just research around the kind of history of department stores and and in-person retail and kind of the psychology that went into it um and it's really interesting because like you know as people working in e-com and native commerce we can easily say like well these dinosaurs are dying but uh they're still here Mm -hmm. uh and i think there's some really important tenets that uh i have found very helpful in thinking about how we're shaping the experience in shop um there's a whole range of department stores out there with different brands that speak to different audiences. But one thing that's true of um, not all of them, but some of them is that they have to have an answer for the same problem, Mm. right? So like take a a big uh, department store here in the United States is Bloomingdale's, right? So Bloomingdale's has a, they do two simultaneous things. They have a really strong experience. You walk in there, you immediately know it's Bloomingdale's. Mm the tiles they choose, the way they choose to lay out the store, Mm -hmm. the brown bag. Um, But they also do something very interesting when it comes to retailing brands in that each brand has its own expression, its own pop-up or Mm -hmm. small space within the context of Bloomingdale's such that you immediately see the logo of uh, Theory or APC or Stella McCartney and you immediately recognize that brand's expression in the space. Mm. And it's quite amazing when you think about it because when you walk in that store it's not like overwhelming it's not a bunch of noise yeah it's like a slight bit of chaos it's kind of nice because yeah, yeah, yeah. there's always something new to see yeah. because those brands too have their own story and arc that is changing through the seasons mm-hmm. and that has become a really potent way in which i've started to like coax designers into thinking about the right share of voice in the shop app for where we are today which is to say you know, when it comes to a brand, it should feel immediately recognizable in the context of shop. So what are some practical challenges with that? Let's talk about how different brands shoot their product. We don't have centralized product photography. As a designer, when you're going to design a screen, it's a little bit of a nightmare. (laughs) You're trying to think about like, well, this brand shoots things on a white background and this brand puts clothing on models and this other brand puts clothing in situ and sand because it's a beach brand Um, and all this stuff has to live together and it can kind of feel uncomfortable Mm. sometimes but in the other way when I think about shopping in person retail experiences a lot of these brands are converging in interesting ways and I think there are moments where we can be really purposeful for instance the shop store so that's the entire experience of how a brand shows up their kind of micro app within the shop app we aspire and have a vision for brands to own that space completely mm-hmm. and increasingly are looking to our history with online store to be able to provide that level of customization. Um, we'll have probably a few more experienced guardrails such that users like know how the app works. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but that has been a really helpful way for us to think about how we want to show up and shop. And shop itself needs a point of view. We are ourselves a brand competing in a very crowded consumer market that begs for brands with a point of view. It's not going to work for shop to be a platform, right? That just like completely is neutered, takes a back seat and like, let's content fill the space. It's it's really not going to work for us. Consumers demand a point of view. And when you look at how we merchandise, the kinds of stories we're telling with our brands, it's really starting to come through. We're actually just going through a brand refresh now that's going to help pull that, um, the way in which we think are brought ourselves forward, which I'm really excited about. Okay, so a final question on shop though, because that is a really interesting narrative. And then we've got this other thing, which is like the shop mini, which is like, Mm. so we've got the shop app, And then we're going to let like merchants use that department store like concession model to create their own. And then we've got this thing called the shop mini, which is like an app inside an app that is also going to have, you know, I've seen and played with a couple and they are wildly different to each other and the rest of the shop app. So what's the thinking there from a design, from an experience perspective, like how are we how are we thinking about making space for this amount of like variability in terms of what the the minis will do that the shop app doesn't do and even just like how different they look you know yeah yeah there's like the look and feel and then there's like the job they serve in the ecosystem so i'll talk a little bit about the job first what we think is that there's something true of what we call a core shopping experience so that's you know what's the makeup of a core shopping experience for the ingredients it's product views, the shop store, Mm -hmm. search, Mm -hmm. things that are checkout, things that are really hard to do and build. Uh, And while we think and shop and Shopify, we have really strong opinions of what those experiences should be. There's this whole other part of shopping. Shopping from a native perspective is changing constantly. Mm -hmm. And while it's easy to say that people are downloading fewer and fewer apps, right? Like by the way, we've been saying that for the last 10 years and new apps are still coming out and being downloaded on people's phones and are still rad. Like, yeah, people aren't downloading apps. They only use two. I'm like, not me. Yeah. And like increasingly, I don't think a lot of other people. So I've seen we'll screenshots of Katarina's uh, yeah. phone. She I'm has extreme. More, more than two apps. More than two apps. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Definitely more than two apps. Um, but what we see in the market is there's a bunch of entrepreneurs, creative technologists, developers building really cool niche shopping experiences. Mm. There's this app network that's focused around cultural drops and kind of hype items beyond sneakers. Um, There's a bunch of really rad stuff happening in the fashion AR NFT space, right? There's like a whole app that just launched recently around this. Um, There's a bunch of niche shopping experiences that entrepreneurs still see value in that they're building communities around. And we think these these types of businesses could be launched from shop. Mm-hmm. And that's where like we start to think of ourselves less as a marketplace and more of a super app, a shopping super app that is. Mm. So while shop takes care of that core shopping experience and provides merchants the tools and the, the equip to go find new customers for all the reasons that Matt and I have been talking about, Minis provides this X factor and that is to say, in shop, we think there are natural extensions of a shopping experience live shopping, you know, uh, bidding, NFTs, all these other things that are happening in the market. 
and it being in our DNA from Shopify to provide developer tools and harness the creativity of creative technologists all around the world. We want to build a platform inside shop that allows people to launch those new businesses and experiments. Yeah. Now from a design perspective, it keeps me up at night, right? <laughs> like I'm somebody say. who's like, who like continues to like convince herself she can do IC design and like wanting to like hold all the things, especially as we're developing these things. So it makes me sweat. I've seen some of these yeah. internal experiments too. And I'm like, can I go down to fix it? And I have to be like, no, because eventually these people, I'm not going to know these people. I can't just slack them be and the be like, mm, can we not with that yeah, button? Yeah, yeah. It's not going to work. And and I also, this is where I have to just, you know, look to the sky and look at Apple sending a great example. And our strategy here is we're going to develop some example minis here at Shopify. And we hope those examples exemplify exactly how we hope they're developed. We're building an SDK to make it super easy and accessible. We hope to develop uh, an SDK uh, that has design components as a baseline and that we set the bar for the market about what types of experiences we hope to build. Yeah. And we hope those we hope to see that bar smashed and exceeded. There, but we also want to make room for apps that I might think are subpar, but suddenly find this niche community within shop, which is pretty cool. So. We've got core shopping, we've got the minis experiment, and we think together this is gonna make a truly unique native commerce experience in shop. So I wanna use this as a segue to talk about some of the other conversations we've had in this season of yeah. Inside Shopify UX, because you've just said something that is really powerful for me, which is, you know, we had a, converse, a great conversation about the cultural variance in design and the fact that in digital design, maybe we've not always made room for that, right? So the perception of what is considered good usable high quality design for probably 80% of the world is not a bar house or Swedish aesthetic and the majority of our products that we use in you know the the, the north and west kind of have that very very similar aesthetic sensibility so I love the idea of creating minis as a space where like, you're going to see something and you're like, what the heck is this? But it's not for you. It's for yeah. the community yeah. it serves. And it's probably a great example of amazing design in a very relevant, culturally uh, specific way. And that needs to be able to exist too, alongside anything else that you find affinity with. So I love that. But so one, one other thing I wanted to bring you in, Matt. We had that conversation about design, but we also had a really great conversation about with interns. Oh, yeah. And Let's talk about interns. I have had the best conversations with you about interns at Shopify, and you have personally shepherded waves of interns both into <laughs> Shopify's internship program and through into other roles. So I'm interested in, you know, how you've always kind of interacted with that intern experience and how you've grown that design culture. Because we, we spoke to three interns from very different backgrounds and ex-nurse, uh, you know, ex-talent, and then the classic D-school intern, right? So then it's like yeah. a huge amount of variance in there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've i never seen an intern program like Shopify's. It's it's absolutely unreal. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you get to come into this organization, which is, I think, one of the greatest tech companies in the world. And, and not only that, but... Like I, I love 
there's something so beautifully Canadian about Shopify as a tech company too. That's like you, you get to work at, at what is clearly one of the highest bars of company around. And yet everyone is so humble and friendly and, uh, and welcoming. And this, uh, that Canadian culture still, even that we're fully distributed, it sort of like permeates the whole thing. It's lovely. And I'm bringing some. I'm still back. convinced you're a Canadian, man. I'm not. I'm from Pittsburgh. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. <laughs> I, know. I think your accent is starting to show. It's it's I've been here five years. I don't know years. what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I can feel it's it the way I talk, eh? Yeah. Okay. See there? Oh, yeah, see? It's right in there. I've learned how to say A correctly. It's very nuanced. Oh, that's good. Right. I'm still working on it. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I've got a sauna in the backyard and a canoe up on blocks. I'm really, I've really assimilated. <laughs> Anyhow, interns. Uh, they join the company, full-time role if they have the hours for it, assuming they're not in school. They work on teams, project mm. teams, with everybody else. They are a part of the team. They are mm. a team member, working mm. with people at every level of seniority, shipping real projects with those teams all the way into production that are used by millions and millions of merchants that have real impact. They touch... Mm the giant money pipes that the rest of us also touch that are terrifying. Like billions and billions of dollars flow through these pipes, right? And and interns get to work on this stuff. It is yeah. wild. And yeah. they have huge impact. Yeah. I still remember uh, Sadika, one of our, who started as an intern and now is... Sadika. Uh, she's oh. such a talented designer on the team, right? She's been so with us for years good. now. Yeah. So when she started as an intern and... Uh, her first project was uh, ended up, she did a lot of fascinating UX work in billing and it ended up just being a button uh, mm. in, in the billing area and it ended up saving a lot of money for the company and support fees but more importantly the amount of frustration for merchants that went down because of that work was massive. That was her first project in a professional role uh, unbelievable that she got to do yeah. that um, and now she's still with Shopify today, years later, yeah. right? People have come from all sorts of different backgrounds. We've seen people get move out of uh, retail industry into their first professional job in the tech industry that are now off into other professional roles. Um, we've had people move internally at Shopify from administrative roles, uh, from roles in talent. Um, has they made that side wave mo uh, We just talked about this, I think, yesterday, Katerina, with Jess, about mm. how do people enter UX from other roles? Yeah. My answer was the intern program. I've seen it happen over and over again. Yeah. Right. Uh, we've seen people, uh, and not just young people, people my age and older that are shifting careers. We've seen come through the intern program or through Shopify's BCS program if they're in engineering. Um, they might be back to school, and it's part of their. Um, that that has been an amazing program where Shopify actually pays for their schooling in Canada, yeah. as yeah. well. It's just. It's just been an unreal experience. Well, it's also that thing of like, as we, as our practice expands, you know, we kind of had the early days when anyone could kind of get in because it was still so nascent that it was like, you just had to have an affinity with it. It didn't matter right. what your background was. I, I got my first internship with posters. <laughs> I still don't know how they let me do it. <laughs> it's like, I was explaining that to my team the other day. We had a show and tell and I like, it was like, bring a thing that changed your life. I don't yeah. know. And I brought my like student portfolio and it was full of printed stuff. Yeah. I was like, this is how I got a job designing something for phones. And they were like, that 
it's not going to happen anymore, is it? I was like, nah. Well, <laughs> but, it, but this is but this is the thing with internship with really strong internship programs. It can because I think we yeah. kind of had that, and then the, there's been a middle period where it's like you need a qualification in design, and there's like right. thousands of universities with all of these qualifications, and you need to go get one. Doesn't necessarily right. create the best designers, and then I think you get intern programs. Similar to the one at Shopify, maybe other companies have them too, where actually the bar isn't a design qualification. No, it right. is an affinity, uh, the intentionality and the passion. And like, you know, seeing some of the interns we have in the company, I'm like, everybody needs to groom that because it, it, it literally is creating a cohort of people who are not identical designers. And they do yeah. come and bring all of this new thinking from their own backgrounds into the mix. And it just... It is wild to be able to work with them and nurture their talent, uh, you know, along Absolutely. the way as well. Yeah. I, I love that we allow for such a wide range of uh, experience in our interns too. Uh, yeah. People who are just getting their feet wet in design all the way to people who have like finished their schooling and are ready for their first professional job and might get hired yeah. into a, a full-time position at the end of it. Or people who are in mid-school and just looking for a little professional experience before they go back and finish their schooling. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. It I've is had amazing. so many rewarding, rewarding internship experiences here, but just watching people learn and grow and quite a lot of them are working at Shopify today. It's yeah. Yeah. Cheers to the internship program. Cheers to the internship and our lovely interns, Jason, Nwando, and Sophia, who were on the season. Um, so then another powerful conversation that we had this season was around accessibility. Mm. And I think this was a bit more of a real talk conversation because like many other tech companies, like the report yeah. card is a C, could do better, you know, kind yeah. of thing. And actually connecting back with you, Katarina, as you think about something like shop as a super app, how are you thinking about accessibility? Like not just like meeting a requirement, but actually like really bringing that inclusion mindset into the way the app's designed and then the way that we encourage other people to design for the app. You know, how can we grade ourselves as a B or an A even, you know, as opposed to a C? Yeah. To be somebody who says like, I know would be a total lie. <laughs> Yeah. So let's start with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think one of the key things we have going for us right now is Shop is developing its own design system, right? So Polaris wasn't going to do the job for us for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. Polaris is designed for work. Um, so Shop needed its own system. And we have a absolutely fantastic design systems mm -hmm. team. Yeah, um, This mighty two-person team right now uh, and growing that is helping us develop the design system with accessibility in mind from the jump, mm -hmm. right? So we're not having to go back and say, is this thing working right? Mm -hmm. Important thing for me when I think about accessibility is there's, it's become so, um, it's become a central issue in our practices and in adjacent practices, right? Mm -hmm. Like engineering, it's like a 50-50 split. Yep. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I find a little frustrating where things sit right now is that we design a thing and then it goes through an accessibility check. Now that's out of necessity, right? Like we, like Figma files don't have the tools to tell us whether or not the thing is compatible yeah. with everything that it needs to be compatible with. But what often I find happening is that this thing will go into Q&A and then like it'll come back and we'll figure out that like, 
you know, we're trying to figure out how type sizes should work uh, at these huge scales, right? And I'm like, okay, this isn't designing for accessibility. We are like, we're, we're not designing yeah. an intentional experience yeah. here where we have this expectation that somebody using large text assistance on their iPhone, for example, can have a great experience. wants to be reading a single <laughs> letter per scroll. <laughs> like, I don't think yeah. that's what that person had in mind yeah. when they ratcheted up the text size yeah. to the largest A on that slider in yeah. settings, right? I think what they were trying to tell us is that they need help. Yeah, <laughs> They need help seeing text. Yeah. As a designer, I think the job there is to figure out what is appropriate so that the gestalt of the whole thing doesn't just fall apart. Yeah. 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 And that's the thing that really, like now when I'm talking to teams and we're working through these things, you know, when an engineer comes back and says like, you know, this is what it looks like and it's, you know, this is what it means to be accessible. And I say like, I actually think we need to set in this example uh, a, a ceiling yeah. for how, yeah. <laughs> for how, how high that text should go such that the complete experience is it feels thoughtful and not yeah. broken for those users yeah. and so what i have been asking of the team and what i continue to foster discussions between our engineering counterparts and, and designers who are focused on these problems is uh, on these opportunities is how do we design those experiences too rather than just saying when all of these tools are turned on for audiences who need them that we like that they work yeah it's like such a low bar yeah, yeah. um and so I, I i say that like i don't i don't know everything i need to know as a design leader right now to ensure we're equipped to work towards a future where we're we're graded at an a and i need to educate myself on what an a would really mean yeah but i know from a design standpoint from a quality of experience standpoint that all audiences deserve a well-designed experience. Oh my God, preach. And that we need to, and that we need to design those experiences across the board. Uh, preach, preach, preach. To, to, totally agree with everything you're saying, Katerina. I, I think we're, we could be doing a lot better than we're doing, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think there are like two conceptual shifts I would love to see with us in accessibility. Mm. One relates very much to what you're talking about. And one is uh, how we talk about uh, an issue of accessibility, like what you're talking about is readability. Yeah. So mm -hmm. what we often get hung up on, though, and, and this is everyone is well-intentioned in this conversation. Like everyone yeah. wants the mm -hmm. same outcome. Nobody's in here saying like, I just want it to be pretty and I, I don't care what, yeah. what yeah. the outcome is, right? right? Like, ah, I don't care if half the people can't read it. Like nobody's saying that. Everybody wants a good outcome. But we yeah. get focused on... Uh, individual best practice because we think that that achieves the outcome. So for instance, yeah. there was an argument like uh, you can't use all caps because that's bad now. And that misses the point of the holistic outcome of readability. Because yeah. just because you made it not all caps doesn't mean it's readable. readable. In fact, there yeah. are many typefaces where removing all caps could make it less readable if, for instance, yeah. it has a very low X height. So yeah. like refocusing the conversation on this holistic problem of readability takes into account things like the design of the typeface, whether or not it's been said in all caps or not, what, what the contrast level is, of course, comes up a lot, 
Um, what is the weight of the face? Uh, what is the, the, the spacing of the things around it? What is the content density on the page? And then how has it been built? Has it been built in a way that things can be scaled? Does it break when you try to scale it? Well, mm -hmm. right, like there, there are so many aspects yeah. to the design that there is yeah. no I've... single checklist of practices where you check it all and now it is readable. We have to, just like the designer using Polaris, just because you plugged in all the Polaris pieces doesn't mean it's a good design. That's why we yeah. have these humans working on it. So it's it's art meets science, right? Like, yeah. it, like I think that's part of the challenge I have. Is like right now we're talking about accessibility and designing for a, the widest range of audiences possible yes. as a science experiment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that like I ran it through the contrast yes. checker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's at 0.02 and it should be at 0.03 yes. and that's the great difference between b and c mm. and i'm like this is like and you know a kid growing up in the states who didn't do well in the textbooks in school like yeah, it yeah, makes yeah. me feel like standardized testing yeah like this is an art as much as it is a science and it is just about as much of a quality experience as it is as like an experience that is functional yeah. it still is like it's it's designed and no, i don't know how to say it it's, it's hard because no one wants to get it wrong and it's it's actually pretty opaque like when you if you look yeah. at government guidelines they say almost nothing right yeah like like 508 is just like make it work for everybody if it's remotely federal even if the people are federal or the or the, yeah. the the surface is federal right just make sure everybody can use it um so and lots of people have come up with guidelines to try to make sure that happens but it gets very confusing very very fast um so when you align on those goals of like for instance it's readable it's great i think the other practice that that would help a lot that would be build both empathy for the people doing it and find a lot of problems was recommended to me by uh, glenda sims who's like uh, an accessibility author and just like a great accessibility person um, who recommended to me uh, three things that you do with your designs uh, that are easy to remember and it's uh, no ears no eyes no hands uh, use your design those ways. So use a screen reader um, yourself. Mm -hmm. Find out how frustrating it is. Yeah. You won't catch everything, but you will be mad at your designs at the end of it. <laughs> and that's great. You experience yeah. it yourself. Turn off the sound and find out what happens. Can you use everything, right? Are you yeah. using videos and suddenly videos don't work? Well, now you've, yeah. now you've learned that, right? Uh, try and use things with only a keyboard. See what happens, right? Try yeah. not to use your mouse. Uh, try to use like uh, 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 just this actually is, like play with it yeah yes yeah put yourself in that position it is not yeah. a substitute for doing user testing but it is the first step and it builds more importantly it builds empathy and has you experience all that frustration firsthand so you start saying like oh no <laughs> my yeah. design suddenly feel really bad i suck I need to do yeah. better. <laughs> I mean, That's the first I, step. <laughs> I at least can do this and be like, I can't see a thing right now, right? So yeah. like, I can do that, and now I have to punch up the, the 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 font size to make it very very large, but I could read anything at all, right? And see what happens. No, I love that. Thank you for that very clear advice, and also for letting me see you for the first time without your glasses on, because <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> You and me both. This it's less interesting. It's like without glasses on. It's less interesting. It's I mean. it's it's a distant second though to you when he showed up without a beard one day. Oh, I know. Everyone that was the whole thing. We just got out. used to it. Yeah, well, huge just, thing. For those who every meeting I went know. to, yeah, everyone every meeting I went to, people just lost Different their minds. Um, lost it. We have one more activity yet to do. This is the final, final chatterbox slash cootie catcher slash. What did you call it when you were growing up, Katerina? I don't, 
I have no idea. But you you didn't participate up. in these games? <laughs> you didn't play in middle the, school? with the thing? Oh, yeah. that thing. Yes. I don't know what that thing's called. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I, we played with them. I'm, That's we played the most I just don't know ahead Zen of. Buddhist answer you could. It yeah, is what it's it is. just a game. There you go. It was it a just game. just is. Yeah, it just is. They, just they is. did uh, relent. A, uh, they they yeah they called them cootie catchers in my middle school. That's what they called them. Cootie catchers. That's what you slacked us about. Yeah. I got no contact, no contact. slack. Cootie catcher. Yeah. For my colleague yeah, yeah. Griffin and was you didn't know concerned. what it was. Yeah. The game Sorry. of many of many names. Cootie catcher. Middle school. Uh, fortune teller chatterbox. So here here fortune it goes. Teller. There are four options to start with: a banana, a cart, a lettuce, and a rocket. You pick one, and then I will go through, and then you pick a number, and then I'll ask you a question. How did so, the banana get in there, Lola? How did the banana get in there? I, I understand know. the other ones. I don't know. Because commerce. Just, I'm just the Shopify. person who runs the thing. Got it. I just, you know. You needed something yellow. <laughs> we needed something else other than the other yeah. three. Got it. Uh, so, Please Katerina, continue. you first. Pick one. <laughs> Cart. Okay. C A R T. There are the numbers one, two, five, and six. Pick one. 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 Uh, then you have the numbers four, three, seven, and eight. Seven. Seven. And your question is, what is your process for starting a new thing? Hmm. Hmm. I thought it was going to be like what I have for lunch. Um, <laughs> what is your process for starting a new lunch? <laughs> um, a process for starting a new thing. I presume we mean in the context of design. It typically means, which is like, I feel antithetical to what we like teach and lead and talk about. I literally open up Figma and I start. So you go straight into high-fi designing. Yeah. High-fi designing. Well, not always high-fi, but like I need to make a thing. To think of a thing. And I'm a horrible. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a horrible um, drawer. I can't draw anything. So I get into Figma and... You start with lighting effects. That's where you begin. (laughs) Get good rim lighting on, and then you go from there. We've had all the versions, thinking, doodling, sketching, writing. I do writing. I need my notebook, which is Oh, no thinking happens. Just straight into the thing. Yeah, no thinking happens. It's just an empty void. It's kind of like a subconscious emergence of an idea as well, which which can also be good. Yeah. Uh, okay, thank you very much for that. Yeah. Matt, where do you want to start? You're welcome. Rocket ship. Rocket. R-O-C-K-E-T. You have one, two, five, and six. I'm also one. I don't, I'm, a, I'm going one. Okay, one. And then you have four, three, seven, and eight. Four. Question like, number like four yellow, is... I like the color yellow. Ooh. If you could go backwards or forwards in time, where would you go and why? This is not the first time I've had this question. Our good oh. friend Re- Rebecca Sir gave me this question years and years okay. ago when we worked together before Shopify. And I never came up with a better answer to this question, so I'll give you that answer I gave her like seven years ago. Okay. Um, I would go 32 years into the future which is the difference in age between me and my 12-year-old son, Argus. And I would go oh. meet Argus at the age that I am now. So we that could meet so each cool. other as equals and, <laughs> and see what that's like. I want to know 
I want to know what that's like. Meeting an adult version of your child, yeah. but being at the same age yeah. as them. That is not, probably the coolest thing. Not waiting until I'm like 75, but like meeting no. them now as the same. So you're just adult. like, hey, August, let's go for a drink. And then what's you happening? just go for a drink. Yeah. Yeah. How are you now? Like what's happening now with you? And I, I'd be able to relate, relate, you know, we wouldn't be like, it wouldn't be a father son relationship. It'd they be like definitely friends, wouldn't you know? listen to you though. I feel like no. <laughs> your whole authority was just, that's the point. That's the point. I, mean, that I wouldn't want authority. For very long either. <laughs> yeah. I just want to, I just want to listen okay, to him at fair. that point. Right. I don't want to tell him anything. I just want to, he's already heard, he's already heard 44 year old me. He's, he's done with that. Right. Got that but hearing you as ago. a 44 year old man himself would be super interesting. Yeah. Like how does an adult right? reason with knowing their father at the same age? I don't know. I, I'm time warping myself. And you're like, I dad, I've got, I've got some notes for you. I've got some <laughs> notes for you, dad. Now uh, that since I you're going back, are place. you going back? Are you going back? If you're going back, I have Here's some things not to do to traumatize my life. Yes, please, huh. please, please, please. <laughs> uh, these are from my therapist. These are from me. Here you go, dad. <laughs> Take these back with you. Those are fantastic answers. Thank you both so, so much for that. Okay, so as predicted, we talk a lot. And so we are really <laughs> getting to the boundary of how long this episode could be. But I did want to um, I did want to leave uh, our audience with maybe a, a final thought from each of you. And I want to link it back to the conversation I had in this season with Monica, Sadia and Jen Robert Rogers mm. about leading design in an organization this that was big. A great one. And you know, you are both leaders, uh, senior leaders in the company over really big product areas with very big teams and like lots of different disciplines reporting into you. What would you say is like a key piece of advice or a tip that you've learned for leading at this level in an organization like Shopify or within the product area that you've got that might be useful for someone else? Uh, to bear in mind in their journey. I'm just going to take notes. At <laughs> yeah. And basically, I'm recording this bit. Like I, when, I, I, when I grow up. <laughs> I'm, ru I'm ruined here because I had the same answer as Katerina. So now I'm in trouble. Uh, our was, bad jokes are merging. I was going to take notes on Katerina and then go back in time and answer. No, I've got, I've got an answer. But I, go do on. you want me to go? You want me to go first? Yeah, go ahead, Matt. Gen gentlemen first yes oh jeez. oh jeez. <laughs> all right uh my best advice for leading at shopify is or leading uh, in general right well, in a, or like uh, at a big at a big company well this is the only company i've ever uh been a leader at of this uh size and, and yeah. i've been a leader at this company at many sizes <laughs> because it grows like crazy it just keeps doubling yeah. and doubling you know uh when I joined, I'm pretty sure it was like 4,000 people, and now it's well over 12, I think, something like that. I don't know if I can say even that publicly. Know what the official but number is, yeah. Yeah. It just grows every time I go to the announcements channel to see how many people are in there. It just gets bigger and bigger. Um, anyway, it just keeps getting bigger. Uh, here's, what I've, here's, here's what I've learned uh, for, forget, forget everything. Like, forget, forget that it's big, for, forget that it's a big company, forget how smart and brilliant everyone around you is. Uh, forget that the giant money pipes you're working on because I, I used to work on money and now I work on shop pay. Like I'm on the, I work with the checkout that have billions and billions of dollars flowing through them. Like forget all of that because it's terrifying if you think about it too much, mm -hmm. how smart everyone, it, everyone is, how, and how high these stakes are, uh, like 
just forget it all. Just go, go do the thing. Like if you see a problem, go fix it. If you see a mm. vacuum, um, go fill it. If you see something going wrong, go do it. Don't worry about the org chart. Don't worry about what you work on. Uh, like a year ago, I saw something going wrong in an area that wasn't mine. And I asked my lead, do you mind if I go try to fix that? And she said, no, go for it. That seems right. That seems more important than anything else you've got on your plate. Go do it. And I said, okay. And so I went and did it. Um, sometimes you have to elbow your way into a thing just to make it happen. But if it's if it seems like the right thing for the company and the right thing for merchants, it's worth it. You just go do it. Um, and you do it your unique way. We are all unevenly shaped, right? Like uh, I got some great advice from uh, someone we both both worked with on money, uh, Kaz, one time, which is like, don't, and Cynthia actually gave me similar advice to our VP of UX, which is don't like file down your sharp bits. That just makes mm -hmm. you flat. And, and then what good, what good is that, right? So just lean into your, your sharp areas, you know? Yeah. That's where you're great. That what's, that's what makes you who I you are. I don't think there's a file strong enough. <laughs> For me? <laughs> For me or for all either, of us? Either of us. Either of us. Yeah. All of us, okay. probably. Yeah. I take it as a compliment. But like, this, I just I just realized at that point, like, I just want to get even more pointy at those pointy. spots and just even more of what yeah. makes me me. At Shopify didn't hire me for my weaknesses. They hired me for my strengths. I just keep leaning into that thing and that thing and that thing. And, and forget all the lack of uh, confidence and the doubt and all that stuff. Just forget it. And if you have a really honest conversation with those people that you look up to and you think, oh my gosh, that person's so amazing. Uh, if you have a really honest conversation with them, they have all the same doubts and all the same worries. And they're looking around and saying, who are all these amazing people I work with? Because we're all yeah. humans. So that's my best advice is just let it all go. Do your thing, do it your way. And when you see a problem, go after it and just have, have that impact by doing what the company pays you to, to have a great impact for, for merchants. And, and it'll go well. It'll go well. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, sure. Catch Katerina. Right. Uh, I think I'll, I'll yield my time of giving uh, leadership advice and just talk about one thing that's important to me mm -hmm. in the work that I do as a leader, designer, partner, and all things yeah. that we do is the importance of fostering a design culture. Mm -hmm. Even as big Ooh, as this place gets, that's a good one. and as you know, engineering focused we are at times, product focused as we are at times, that the, the practice of design is something that can be applied anywhere in a multitude of ways. We talked about it in the accessibility discussion. Yeah. Um, and I think something that has happened in this like, if somebody talks to me about designers having seats at tables, I'm uh, going to jump through a window. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're here, the seat, take it. What I we don't got, know. The metaphor is so tired to me. We got the seat yeah. years but ago. But on the way years to doing ago. all of that, yeah. like, on the way to doing all of that, like, we forgot about how fun I what know. we do is. And Tell me the about sense. It. Oh, my yeah. God. Look at, like, you guys are like, oh, oh my, my God. God. You know, it's like, why, why are we having that response, you know? And so, and, and, Part of that, speaking I, of being I forget pointy, I forget that when I'm in the room with the both of you, though, I have to say. I, I forget <laughs> okay, that we forgot good. about fun. I, like, you are, <laughs> yeah. you are so much fun, both of you. <laughs> you, you guys are, too. Uh, guys and gals. Um, that, that part of that, too, is like, 
being opinionated about design. Yeah. yeah. You know, something that Toby said in the first episode, I think that was the episode that episode, opened up the uh, season. Episode two or three. Three. Yeah. Fact check. Okay. Can we have a there fact check? Yeah. Um, yeah. F- fact check. Yeah. Fact episode check. Michael, um, <laughs> You guys were talking about this a little bit. Yeah. And I think he or you said the thing that wins the popularity contest is the least objectionable. Yeah. And that just is yes. like, poof. Yes. Like, so good. Yeah. And I think... And and then we get like, we get people get nervous about this subject, mm-hmm. right? Because everybody in UX maybe doesn't consider themselves a designer, which is a naming issue and a branding problem. Yeah. But like, even though there are different practices, yeah, we are all still designers. And one thing that is true, that doesn't have to be scary, mm-hmm. and that I believe in, is that a high level of connoisseurship is just as important in the quality of design as the people capable of making it, right? So like, just as it's important to have those like superstar designers who can craft and do all those mm-hmm. things, is an audience of people who understand what good looks like. Yeah. And fostering that, Sadia talked about this in the leadership conversation, yeah. fostering that in your team yeah. is a responsibility of leads, it's a responsibility of peers, it's a responsibility of everyone. Yeah. Fostering that culture and expanding on what that means to be increasingly inclusive is really important. And so that's something that, I don't know if I do a good job of it, it's something I strive for, yeah. and it's something that I job. want all of us, <laughs> Thanks, yeah. it's something that I want everybody to lean into, is the connoisseurship of design. You, We don't all need to be crafters, but we should create an environment where that craft is celebrated, yeah. where it's recognized, yeah. and we can just support each other in trying to go for it. I mean, Katarina, if you haven't just described all the things that I feel in my gut (laughs) on a daily basis. In the gut. I I can't add to that. I honestly, that is the perfect way to sign off this episode and the season. I hope, I am so grateful for the, like the wild variants of conversation we've had, but that we end (laughs) on that note. Um, That's good. And, and for the season, you know, to, to the audience has followed us for this entire season. Like, this is why I love design. It's because it's rife with complicated problems and passionate individuals and a constant, constant urge to do better. But it's also rich with people who are cultivating that connoisseurship. I hope you've enjoyed listening to us talk today. I hope you've enjoyed all of the episodes. If you're interested, and go shout back. out to the host. Oh, oh my god! Before you sign Great. off, Lola, I couldn't think of a better host. I, I didn't. I, you, these episodes have been amazing. You know what? I didn't want to interrupt you, Lola. But since Katarina interrupted you, I am going to interrupt you. We're not going to sign <laughs> I mean, off perfectly. No, I'm going to. I, I had the because perfect on, like last nine. I know. That I I'm know. Gonna, I know. I'm going to mess it up because uh, I need to riff on what Katarina said <laughs> and thank you publicly because. Seriously, because I I know I agree with this so much. And the strong opinions thing is so important. At some point in my past, uh, Cynthia, our our VP of UX, told me that one of my greatest traits was having strong opinions. Yes. Um, But uh, when I first met you, so Lola, you were my lead uh, for an unfortunately brief period of time. Too brief. uh, Like four or five months, right? And uh, when I first met you, I was having a crisis of confidence. And I was having trouble with my, I told you I'd lost my compass and I needed help getting that back. And you did, you helped me get that back. And by the time I left you and went on to shop, I felt like I had retrieved that. 
So I just wanted to thank you for helping me like write my internal ship and get back to that point where I had those strong opinions again and I could trust myself and do that role because it's one of the most important roles we do as, as design leaders and UX leaders. So uh, here we are forever on YouTube. Um, thank you so much, Lola. <laughs> we might edit this bit out, but okay. <laughs> I appreciate, I appreciate the appreciation and I'm grateful for you guys going on this content journey with me and for all of our listeners for listening in and uh, sharing feedback and also sharing this podcast with everyone else. So it has been an absolute pleasure. And for the last time in season two, I've been Lola Yolayo Pearson and it was a pleasure. So that's it. Thank you for listening to season two of the Inside Shopify UX podcast. If you've enjoyed this season and you're intrigued about the things we're working on, apply for roles at shopify.com slash careers slash UX. And don't forget to leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Inside Shopify UX is hosted by me, Lolao Yelayo Pearson. Produced by Jen Shaw. Assisted by Isabel Hamel-Karassi. Edited by Michael Bussa. With art and graphics by Alicia Giroux. Danny Chavez-Ackerman. And Trevor Slovani. Music by Silent Quiet Spaces. Mm-hmm.